If you would love to create a transformational and successful coaching business, but you don't know where to start or how to make this a full-time career, then my new certification program, Influential Coach, is for you. There is no other four-month live online mastermind like this. I'm going all in, guns blazing on this one with you to skyrocket your coaching career and personal brand online. You will learn the frameworks I personally use for rapid transformational coaching so you can support your clients to achieve their dreams no matter where they are in life. You will also learn how to authentically brand and market yourself as a coach so you can stand out from the rest and build a career of freedom and fulfillment. Spots are limited and this is an application only program. So if you're serious about finally committing to building a successful career in transformational coaching, then head over to imjoelbrown.com slash coach and apply today. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Addicted to Success podcast. I'm your host, Joel Brown, and I'm here today with Remy Adalecki. He featured in the films Transformers The Last Night, He was in Six Underground and the movie Invasion. But on top of that, I'm going to give you a quick breakdown of the blurb that's on his book from 2019 called Transformed. Here's a blurb, and I think it gives a really good breakdown on on Remy. What are the odds? Statistics tell us that African-American males who grow up in a single-parent household are nine times more likely to drop out of high school and 20 times more likely to end up in prison than any other demographic. But what would it take for one young man not only to rise above those statistics, but also become a Navy SEAL, an actor, an entrepreneur, a writer, and a successful husband and father? Well, in Remy's book, Transform, Remy Adelecki takes you back to stories from his childhood, from living as a Nigerian royalty to losing his father early in life and being financially stripped of everything by the Nigerian government. Remy, I am excited, man, to dive into how you were able to overcome these struggles. I know that you've really leveraged off uh, those breakthroughs that you were able to make and you're doing amazing things in society right now. I know you just before you were saying that you're part of a, a awesome uh, foundation that's that tackles human trafficking and a certain section of human trafficking as well, which we're going to go into. Uh, and I know, you know, your book's done well, movies are popping, you got TV shows happening, you're in yeah. Jordan right now and you've been bouncing all over the Middle East. So uh, welcome to the Addicted to Success podcast. Hey, brother. Thank you so much for having me on. It's an honor and blessing. I know we've been connected for a number of years, so it's cool to finally jump on this podcast together and talk life, brother. I know, right? I know, man. Yeah. It sounds like you're addicted to success, bro. You're doing a lot of things. Your shirt that you're wearing right now, for anyone that's listening yeah. to the audio podcast, it has the word solutions and it's got like, it's greater than, it's it's eating away at the uh, excuses, yeah. right? And I, I, yeah. I know you live that lifestyle, bro. You literally are a product yeah. of that. So, hundred percent. What are you, as a what are you fact, most just, excited uh, about? On, sorry, just to hit on that real quick. This is my. Uh, I have an apparel company called Kedjo, and so you know, along those lines of being addicted to success, a, a, a good part of it being addicted to success is the willingness to share the tools and traits to gain success. And so, my apparel company Kedjo that I co-founded with a good friend of mine. All of our shirts are all about 
educating, motivating, and inspiring people in different ways. And so this is one of our shirts, Solutions Greater Than Excuses. We have another one, Process Greater Than Outcome. We have another one, Unlimited Potential. But that's what it's all about is, is using apparel to kind of share some keys to success, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, I love that, dude. Love it. Yeah, yeah. So, you, you know, you're in some pretty awesome movies, man. Your book, Transformed, as well. There's a bit of a theme here going on, like transformation, yeah. transform, next level. Uh, yeah. What do you think your superpower is? If you were to really dilute, like share and, and dial right yeah. down to like that one thing that if yeah. you were to look yeah. back and go, I utilize this skill set or this certain ability to be able to get into movies and to build, you know, these successful companies. What do you think that superpower is? Uh, it's perseverance. It's, it's that it's being a modern realistic wolverine man it's like getting knocked down <laughs> getting shot up getting saddles but but not literally but figuratively but still healing and getting back into the fight you know and a lot of that comes from my mom because when my father died and we moved from nigeria to the u.s my mother, mob, she was the model of perseverance. I mean, she worked multiple jobs. Uh, I, I watched her face rejection over and over again, but she never quit. And she just kept picking herself back up. So when you live with somebody like that, who just models it every day of their life, you know, just through osmosis, it becomes a part of your DNA, becomes a part of who you are. And so I would say that that's my superpower. It's it's the ability to get rejected, fail, um, get kicked, uh, fall into painful situations, but still continue to go, still try to figure out a way around the corner or into the room. So that's that that would say that that's my superpower, brother. Yeah, it's like you're tapping into this inner resourcefulness, right? There's no excuses. It's like there's always a way to make it happen. I love this, man. And, uh, you know, I, I did read that you were at a young age, you lost your father. If you don't mind me asking, how young were you when this happened? I was five. I was five. Five. 1987. Wow. Yeah. Do you remember much about your father? Like, do you remember things you learned from him that you've brought into your life today? You know, little things. My father was a very intelligent and resilient man. And also, you know, on the on the on the on the topic of perseverance, he was a, a guy who persevered, you know. Um uh when the Nigerian government stripped him of his first asset, Marico, you know, he fought the government for about 10 years and finally he was awarded you know, the, the lagoon, which there's more to this story, but in short, this lagoon, which he dredged a foreshore, created one of the first man-made islands. Um, and I just remember as a kid, my dad being that go-getter, he was always traveling for business. He was always doing different, um, uh, uh, chasing after different uh, entrepreneur type of uh, positions and, and companies and start. So I, that's one thing I remembered. He was a very resilient and uh, intelligent man. He spoke multiple languages. Uh, he spoke to me in French, Yoruba, and uh, uh, and English. So I, I, I lost French. <laughs> I lost my Yoruba, <laughs> definitely, but I kept my English. So the big thing I remember about him, he was a very diverse man uh, and, and just an intelligent man. F very fascinating. I just remember being a kid, just being in awe of him, especially when he would tell us stories of the things that he was trying to do. I just remember... I looked at my dad like he was a superhero.
I remember that for sure. Bro, this is cool. And and for anyone that's listening, it's so important, right? Because our childhood, what we experience in that time has a massive impact on us because yeah. we're we're looking at it like how can I learn from these reference points and what's my template for my future? And we're going to base it off who we know and who we aspire to be like, or what we value. Um, who were you in, in high school? Break that down, man. Were you like the yeah. popular guy? Were you the nerdy guy or who were you? Man, I was the hustler brother. I was a hustler. I was somewhat of the popular guy, but specifically because I was a hustler. I, you know, I, I did a lot of different things to make money when I was a kid. I said, you know, you know, being influenced the wrong way. I started out stealing from my mother. Then that progressed to stealing from stores that progressed to stealing from jobs that progressed to selling drugs. And that progressed to what I'm sure we'll talk about later to running high level scams, which was bringing it in thousands of dollars a week. When I was in, in, in high school, I was doing two things. I was selling drugs, but I was also I also had this this sneaker hustle. We call it the sneaker hustle. I had a job at a sneaker store in Times Square called Athlete's Foot which is probably not the best name for a sneaker store. That's probably why they're not around anymore. And uh, uh, this is when credit cards were just becoming a thing. And one thing that I would do is when customers would come in, I would essentially say, if you give me cash, you know, if the sneaker costs $100, I would say, if you give me $70, you know, I'll, and you don't take a receipt, I'll uh, I'll let you take the sneakers. So that was a you know that was a thirty percent discount. So that was one of my hustles, and I would pocket the cash, and then I would you know uh, uh, take their old shoes and put them in the new sneaker box, and I would put those sneak that the sneaker box down at the bottom in the warehouse as the defected shoes. And so I did that in high school. Yeah. So when everybody wanted Jordans or the the, uh, the latest Penny Hardaway sneakers, all these sneakers, you know, they would come and if the sneakers cost a hundred dollars, you know, I would. I would sell them for 70 or 60, depending on what the, what, what I wanted to get for them. And uh, so everybody knew me in high school as a sneaker hustler, you know, and, uh, and also a drug dealer. So that's that again, I was known as the hustler slash popular guy, but not because of, you know, I was a jock or anything like that because I was a guy that you could come to and, you know, get what you needed. <laughs> <laughs> Man, it's so interesting. I'm getting to know you very quickly and I can see the patterns here. Um, yeah. okay. Do you ever experience burnout? Like, have you ever had adrenal fatigue or anything like that? Cause it seems like you're like always on, man. No, I don't, man. I really, really don't. I have, I think I have a good cycle. Um, you know, I, I work hard uh, Monday through Friday. Uh, I, I, you know, because of the nature of my work, I sometimes have to do work on the weekends. Um, but, you know, I do take time to kind of decompress. Um, you know, even like on a trip like this, this is my second vacation of the year. My first vacation of the year was uh, was actually three weeks ago. Me, my wife and my kids went to Maui. And uh, so when I'm on these vacations, I really take time to just kind of stay away from the workload. Um, and like, it's funny because today I woke up to my manager had a bunch of text messages for me. My agent been emailing me over the weekend because they all know I'm coming back to work on Wednesday. So uh, they just it's like I'm, I'm getting prepared to jump back into the fire. But going back to your question, you know, I've just always had this cycle and and it's not something that I've um that I created or I do intentionally. It's just a cycle that 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 just comes out of living life that allows me to decompress so that I'm always fresh and I'm always ready to jump back into the fight. So I I don't have I, I don't feel like I have burnout. You know, I, I 
and I, I have a lot of energy and I have a lot of desires and goals. And I think that when you have, I'm, I'm a very um, task oriented type person and my wife will tell you that. And so when I, when there's something in front of me that needs to get done and there's often a million things in front of me that needs to get done, like that motivates me. Like that's what wakes me up in the morning that, and that to, to just check that box and get that done. So uh, nothing burns me out. I think if anything will burn me out, it's not having anything to do. It's, uh, it's, uh, uh, you know, uh, just not having anything to do if that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It sounds like you're very goal orientated. I'm, I'm the same too. You know, it's the high yeah. achiever. Sometimes the perfectionist yeah. thing can come into play, which gets a little wild sometimes. But mm-hmm. I think the thing too, is when you understand yourself more like when you go on this journey of personal development you've obviously written a book right you can't uh write a book and not know yourself even more than you were before that like it's a big real introspection journey that you go on um so you you kind of know how your body's responding to things you kind of start to understand your sleep cycles you get to draw boundaries and cut people out because you got to write a book it's like it's tough man to sit and write a book or to learn like movie scripts so yeah you've put in a lot of work um you've also really achieve something great that a lot of people overlook too, which is you're a father, you know, like to be yeah, a father, yeah, I think yeah. is such a massive call. How did yeah, you feel yeah. when you first found out your wife was pregnant? Like, did, were you going through like an identity shift at that time? Like if you could kind of share with us, like what happens next once you find out yeah, you got a baby? Yeah. I, man, I, I, you know, it was business as usual. If that makes sense. You know, I, I, me and my wife, we planned, you know, it wasn't a surprise. Like, you know, we were married for, I want to say, two years before we decided to start having kids. So, you know, once we made the decision, you know, we knew that a kid was going to be coming coming uh, uh, soon <laughs> and uh, we were prepared, you know, and that's another thing. I'm always that's another lesson, a big lesson that I learned in life, specifically uh, in SEAL training is to always be prepared. Uh, and the more prepared you are, the less stress you'll feel uh, or the less worry or heartache you'll feel or your trepidation when you're about to go into a situation because you're prepared. And so because we were prepared financially, we were prepared in our marriage, uh, you know, we were prepared emotionally. We have been mature. My wife is, uh, I think she was about 33 when we had our first kid, 32, 33 when we had our first kid. I was, I was uh, uh, 31, 32. Uh, my wife's a doctor. So, you know, she was prepared in that way, you know. Uh, and so I say all I have to say, there wasn't any real trepidation or nervousness or, uh, you know, crisis of faith or anything like that, because because we were prepared. And then we had our first kid and then we had our second kid and then we had a third kid and then we had our fourth kid and that we're done. Uh, but no, I, was, <laughs> I was ready. I was I was ready to be a dad, especially because, you know, not having not having a father in my life. Um, having grown up in the Bronx and followed the wrong fathers, I say that in air quotes, uh, being via hip hop culture, street culture, uh, and and then getting into the military and and learning uh, about you know learning from some from honorable men, you know what I mean, learning from guys in the Marines and learning from you know when I became a SEAL. Now, even before I became a SEAL, learning from my my SEAL instructors about honor, courage, commitment, perseverance, you know, being on time and then and then learning from my fellow SEAL teammates. And then, you know, as a Christian man, you know, learning from God, you know, and uh, and, and and allowing God to teach me 
how to be a father because I didn't have a father. I didn't have a man to teach me how to be a father. And so, you know, taking all of those things into, into account, they all prepare me for, for all my kids, you know, and, and I love fatherhood. I love being a dad, man. My, like people ask me, I've met all kinds of celebrities from Chris Pratt to Ryan Reynolds. And I've, I've met and worked with Anthony Hopkins. You may, I've worked with some big people and, you know, I have people who ask me all the time, like, like, who do you get starstruck by? And I tell them, I don't get starstruck by anybody, but my kids, you know what I mean? Even just the thought of my kids, like when I'm on a trip like this, and I've been gone for a week in my mind. I'm just like, I can't wait to see my kids. Like I'm always in awe of them. So, um, but that all comes from preparation at the end of the day. That is so cool, man. So cool. I also didn't know you were a Christian. I'm a Christian too. Yeah, I didn't yeah. believe like, yeah, for a long time. Yeah. Um, yes, what, what, what do you feel like within yourself in, in your faith and your personal relationship with God? What is like the big thing that just blows your mind when it comes to God or your relationship with Christ? Like, what is it that like really is a good center point for you? At, uh, Romans eight twenty eight, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purposes for them. That's the big thing because um, you know, working in work, just having worked in the SEAL teams and working in Hollywood, it's like it's 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 really it's a hard life. You know, you face a lot of rejection. Uh, you 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 have to be careful about where you step and where you move. And so just knowing that God is directing my steps, that's huge. And, and if something doesn't work out, uh, if a door closes, then that's okay. Like that, that's what always centers me is knowing that, you know, whether something catastrophic happens or whether something great happens, you know, every good thing comes from the Lord. Every you know, But, you know, the Bible also talks about in the Old Testament, you know, uh, nothing happens unless God allows it to happen. You know what I mean? And so just knowing that um, that that God is orchestrating it all. Yes, I have to do my part. You know, that's one thing I, 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 I you want know, to talk to Christians all the time, especially word of faith Christians, where they're just like, God will do this. And I'm going to pray and this is going to happen. I'm going to pray. It's like, no, 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 no. This thing is a partnership. This is, you know, every relationship is a partnership. God is going to do his part. Right. And he's going to he's going to, you know, open a door. But you have to physically walk through that door. You have to do the work. God will equip you with the giftings and the tools. But you still got to pick up those tools and wield them and use them. And so, you know, in this partnership, it's just knowing that he's going to work through the good, the bad, the ugly, everything. That's what always brings me back to center and gives me peace. This is profound. I love this, man. I love this. Yeah. So yeah. you have a, a foundation that you're rocking with right now and you're focusing yeah. on an area that's very overlooked I think sometimes some people don't want to look at it because it is dark, right? We we live yeah. in a world of good and evil. Like we're talking about God here. There's yeah. a reason why we need Christ. You know, there's there's this evil yeah. that that gets to be overcome in the world, and and you know He holds the keys to death, hell, and the grave, right? Ultimately, yeah. yeah. Now, yeah. like what what's going on in the world right now uh, that has caught your interest that you're uh, really stepping into? And, and I think you're shooting a movie. You shot a short film on it, but I know you're yeah. going bigger with it now. What's this about? Yeah, it's uh, it's in short, it's human trafficking, man. It's uh, uh, when I got out of the military in January 2016, I still felt this call to serve. And I talked to a lot of veterans 
um, who've gotten out of the military. They all say the same thing. You know, yes, when I get out, I need to have a job, but I still want to serve in some way. Like I still feel like calling. And I, and I, and I felt that way when I got out after 13 years and I did different things. I went to prisons and, 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 you know, dealt with kids in the juvenile center and, and went to at risk schools and inner cities. But the one thing that kept on coming my way was human trafficking. Um, I want to say in 2016, I was contacted by a human trafficking nonprofit called without permission. Uh, they, and, 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 and again, you got to remember, I, I knew nothing about human trafficking. I didn't even know what it meant, you know, uh, which is, that goes for a lot of people as well. And uh, it's not profitable without permission. They were up in Sacramento and Sacramento has a huge human trafficking issue. And so they invited me up to help out. I did that one year. Then Lindsay Snyder, she's the owner of In-N-Out Burger here in, in the U.S. She has a human trafficking nonprofit called Slave to Nothing. So she asked me if I could help with a, uh, with a, a bowling ball um uh, a fundraiser. So I did that and just different nonprofits started reaching out to me uh, in part because of my story, but then also in part because of my background in special operations. And then one year I got contacted by a nonprofit that essentially utilizes former SEALs, Delta, uh, uh, Marine Force Recon, other special forces guys, along with CIA and other government, former uh, government agencies to go into former government agents to go into other countries and even in the U.S. to rescue kids and women trapped in human trafficking. And as soon as they sent me the video of what they were doing and how they were conducting these raids, my hand shot up. I was like, I was just disgusted. You know, I was disgusted by the fact that people were taken and enslaved, especially kids, and used for sex, you know what I mean? And used for organ harvesting, which is what my focus is, and used for labor. And, and I mean, it's all different kinds of forms of human trafficking. As a matter of fact, I'll touch, touch on that while I'm on the topic. When people hear human trafficking, they often only think about sex trafficking. That's just one facet of human trafficking. There's organ harvesting, which is my focus that I mentioned. There's sex trafficking. There's labor. There's blood trafficking, uh, where there's a story out of Cambodia, I believe, where a guy was uh, abducted uh, from when he traveled from China to Cambodia. And he was essentially blood trafficked for months until he finally escaped. There's uh, there's drug trafficking where kids it's a big thing on the Mexican-American border where kids are being used, being taken and used to move drugs into the U.S. So there's a multiple facets of human trafficking. And as I began to learn about this, I was just like, I want it. I want to fight against this. And so I started working with this one nonprofit down in South America and I remember going on this trip to Dominican Republic and make a long story short, we were in this particular slum, which where the parents would sell their daughters to sex traffickers in the north of DR so that the daughters could have sex with, you know, could be sold for sex. And I just remember walking through this particular slum, just dejected. And I was just like, how can I how can I fight this in a different way? Because this is way bigger than I, than I think. And I'm just one man. And I just remember just being dejected. And this, and we were, there were a few things we were doing when we were in this particular sub. But one of the things that we were doing was we were trying to educate the parents as to, as to why they shouldn't do this and as to what was happening to their daughters. Cause they knew, but we just really wanted them to know, know what's happening. And, uh, 
And this guy, this local guy um, who was a liaison for us, he brought us into this. He brought me into this chapel because he he recognized the look on my face, how angry I was. And uh, in this chapel, at the end of the chapel, which was no bigger than the size of two toilet stalls, was a dead baby. The baby was about six months old. And uh, the guy explained to me that the baby died because the mother couldn't breastfeed. Her milk had dried up because uh, she wasn't getting enough sustenance. And so she mixed some formula with the local water. And that's the water is what killed the baby. And he was using that as a teachable moment for me to help me to understand, better understand, not that it justifies it, but helps me to understand this, the, the, the plight of the people in the slum. And essentially what he was just trying to show me was like, this is, this is what they're facing. In their minds, it's like, either save our daughters, save, the, save our other kids by selling our daughters to these traffickers for money. We'll get the money. We'll be able to buy food, water, stuff to feed our other kids or all of our kids die. And it was in that moment that I was like, okay, I, 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 I don't, I, I don't, I still don't really get it, but I kind of get it a little bit more now. And when I got back from that trip, this was 2019. When I got back from that trip, um, I, I landed back in Florida. I had all these voice messages from Michael Bay's producing partner who produces a lot of his films. And uh, he was like, hey, Remy, we've been trying to get a hold of you. Uh, Michael Bay's working on his next film, Six Underground. And he would like for you to you know, be a lead consultant on the film to help bring a level of authenticity to it. And, and he was like, would you be open to doing that? I was like, sure. And it was in that moment that those two worlds had collided. It, it was like this, this world of, of human trafficking and this world of filmmaking. And keep in mind, as I mentioned earlier, when I was down there, I was like, how can I have a bigger impact and that's when it all clicked. And I was like, I can have a bigger impact by making a film because I can go down to DR and other parts of South America and I can do, even in the America and, and, and other parts of the world and rescue 100, 200, 300 kids. But there's still going to be hundreds of thousands of more kids and millions of more kids that, and, and women that need to be rescued. I mean, globally, human trafficking is estimated to be a $150 billion industry. In the U.S., it's a $32 billion industry alone. It's a massive, massive undertaking. And all I'm doing, while it's, it's still honorable work, but all I'm doing by rescuing one person, the two kids, is, it's just it's putting a minor dent into into a a world pandemic is if, if that makes sense and so that's the, that's when the idea came to me to make the film and i made the film the unexpected um which focuses on organ harvesting because that was a facet that i, I felt wasn't being touched on enough and that that film is on youtube now people could just youtube the unexpected remy adelaide and they'll be able to see it's based on the true story uh of, of i won't give away too much of 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 uh of an organ harvesting ring and, and some victims that were caught up in that ring. And then I started working with other human trafficking nonprofits, like the one I work with now, Lantern Rescue, where they're, they're really um, putting it to uh, these traffickers. Um, they're, they're building cases against traffickers all around the world. Uh, they're rescuing women and kids and men all around the world that are trapped in this atrocity. And that's kind of how it all came together. As I, I know I was a bit long winded, but it started out with just people reaching out to me because of my story and my background. And it just gradually morphed into doing the work and then finally making a film and, and, uh, and, and trying to have a bigger impact that way. 
Yeah, man, this is great. Thanks for sharing. I love this. And, uh, and uh, yeah, it's definitely an area that I think people get to pay more attention to. And, uh, you know, like God calls us to be, what is, what is Christ say? Fisher of men, right? Fisher of yeah, men, yeah. fisher of women. Yeah. But, but what yeah. you're doing with this movie is you're giving people a net to fish themselves. Yes. You know what I mean? It's like, yes. like I can only do so much with my bandwidth, but if I give you this movie and then you can share it with your friends, your family, your followers, exactly. Now more people are going to get it. And there's going to be people in the every hundred people, there might be one or two that's inspired to go and join and you and like go and, you know, actually do the hands-on work. So yeah, I think it's, yeah, very powerful medium for sure. Thank you. And that's the reason why I did it. Cause you know, as you mentioned, most people won't read, do the research about human trafficking because they don't know about it. Most people won't, you know, read news articles or, or, or do much of anything as it relates to, you know, learning about it but they will watch a movie, you know, people, most people, most human beings love movies, you know, and they'll sit and watch a movie. And that was, that was why I made the film, you know, to, for, to, 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 to reveal this atrocity to the, as many people as I can so that they, they could do something. And, you know, I spoke at a church um, about two months ago uh, before the, before the short film came out and, after I spoke, there were so many guys that were coming up to me and they were like, what can I do? Like, dude, I'm just fired up. Like all the stuff that you were sharing, like, I want to, I want to go kill these guys. Like, oh, and, uh, but I, but I don't, I'm not in the military. What can I do? And the one thing that I always tell people is one, I'm glad that the film and the story inspired you. Uh, and, and, and I'm glad that you are motivated to do something. What you can do is whatever it is that you can do with the giftings and callings that you have. For some people, it's just, hey, you watch the film and you're like, you know what? I'm going to donate to a human trafficking nonprofit. Now, I will say that you really have to do your research when you deal with different human trafficking nonprofits, because a lot of them are not doing the work. A lot of them, they have all the marketing, they're just collecting money and 90% of the money that they make is going into their pockets and the payroll, 10% goes to actually doing the work. So one thing you could do is you could donate, but I, I, oh, I implore people, do the research into the nonprofit that you're going to partner with. Another thing you could do is is share the link, as you just said, so that you can educate other people about this reality. Another thing you could do is, you know, what is your what is your giftings? Are you a are you a cyber person? Are you good at cyber? I, again, if I'm using these terms incorrectly, please forgive me. I'm not a cyber guy, but if you're great at doing cybersecurity or whatever it is that that you do, you know, you can partner with a human tra trafficking nonprofit to find tra to find traffickers and victims on a dark web. There's a story here out of uh, the United States of a, of a girl. She went to a Dallas Mavericks playoff game. I'm going to just condense the story for the sake of time. And she went, she, she was, went to the bathroom. Her, she was, it was just her and her dad. She never came back. Dad went to go find her, couldn't find her. Security went to go find her, couldn't find her. Cops came, couldn't find her. They essentially wrote it off as a, uh, as a runaway because she was a teenager. And so the dad went back home, spoke to his wife, said, this is not our daughter. She has no reason to run away. And she must have been trafficked because trafficking is becoming a big thing here in the U.S. And so he reached out to a, uh, a nonprofit, a human trafficking nonprofit that specializes in finding victims. That nonprofit, a few guys from that nonprofit went on a dark web weeks later, found her on a dark web. She had she was being sold for sex in another part of town. Uh, and 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 they conducted a raid with the local police, and not only did they rescue her, but they arrested and uh, some other victims. But they arrested the traffickers that were in that house. Some of those traffickers were at the Dallas Mavericks game weeks earlier. 
But the reason why they were able to find it was because people with the giftings of, of the internet or cyber and scouring it and doing that techie guys were able to use their gifts to scour the dark web and find this girl and, 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 and you know, and, and, help take down this organ harvesting rate. So what is it that you could do? You know, are you a good speaker? Are you a, where well, you could do talks about human trafficking? Are you, are you somebody that's just good at providing counseling and putting your arm around somebody's shoulder? Because after these victims are rescued, they still need aftercare. You got to remember some of these victims have been enslaved from the time they were small kids. So psychologically, they're in a really, really dark place. So can you, are you just good at counseling people? Do you have a PhD or master? No degree at all, but you're just good at counseling people. Maybe you could do that. And that was the, that's, that was the point of this film was to make it so that it can go out into the world. People can see it and then say to themselves, dang, this is evil. This is dark. I need to do something and I'm going to do what I can do with what I have. Man, this is profound. I love this, man. I, I love this. And uh, I saw you post something a little while back. You said that there are more people enslaved around the world today than any other time in human history. Yep. yep. And you wouldn't yep. think yep. that, right? Like yep. on the surface, it doesn't seem like that. Yep. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's huge. As I mentioned earlier, it's a $150 billion industry um, globally, $32 billion in the U.S. alone, uh, 30,000 uh, victims of just sex trafficking, not organ harvesting or labor or anything, just sex trafficking, die in captivity every year. Uh, you know, uh, uh, 600 to 800,000 of the globally trafficked victims are uh, every year are women and children. It's, 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 it's a global, massive enterprise and traffickers are, are are smart they're not a lot of people think when they think of these traffickers is 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 you know dirty evil looking poor you know criminals these are highly intelligent people as a matter of fact when it comes to organ harvesting you know you're dealing with doctors you know you're not dealing with idiots you didn't like there was a, a organ harvesting ring that was uh busted in egypt because cairo egypt is considered to be the organ harvesting capital of the world and uh of the of the 45 people that were arrested when that sting was carried out against that 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 ring the majority of them were doctors and nurses so you're dealing with very sophisticated people and so not just in egypt not just in america but all over the world india has a massive an organ harvesting issue um so so it's a it's a big thing in short yeah yeah i hear that that's nuts absolutely nuts it would be tough to watch all this happen man and not have anger you know because and i know ultimately this is the it's it's the infection of sin that's in our hearts yeah. right like yeah we all have the potential to be a hitler right as, yeah. as crazy yeah. as that yeah. sounds like that's in our heart yeah. unfortunately because of sin in this world and we violate our purpose we come out of god's original design and we continue to abuse you know the, the humanity and uh and i see this and it would be really hard man for me to like be on the sidelines watching this stuff happen yeah. Do you get triggered by this? Like, do you have to kind of go through your own process to not get triggered when you see these these things happening, these atrocities? Uh, no, because I could do something about it. You know, I, I, I would say no, because I think that 
when you're before when I felt helpless, when I wasn't in it as deep as I am now, when I wasn't doing the work in it. Yes, because it was just like I, I, I wasn't doing anything about it. You know, I couldn't do anything about it. But now that I'm able to expose it, no, I don't I don't feel triggered anymore. And I think, you know, and I think also a part of it also is given my background, because when I went overseas as a SEAL, you know, I saw a lot of things, you know what I mean? I've, I've come across a lot of evil, wicked people, you know? And so um, I think between that conditioning me uh, over the years and then coupled with the fact that now I'm able to do something, I you know, it doesn't trigger me at all. And I think... Again, you know, I know I'm repeating myself, but if if I was if I was like behind this glass wall and I was watching it happen to somebody, you know, whether it's rape or, or and I and I'm banging on the wall and I can't get through that glass wall, that's going to drive me insane. But to be able to get a sledgehammer and beat that glass, smash that glass wall down, and then run in that room and do what has to be done, you know. That's that that it's fulfilling. And at the end of the day, you know, especially as Christians, you know, all people in general, especially as Christians, life is not about us. You know, it's it's, it's not about us. It's about people. You know, I mean, we can't take the things we have. We have our material things. You know, we can't take them to heaven with us. You know, and all we can do is take people, you know. And so so, you know, that that that's what drives me is the ability to take people and, you know, just bring them back full circle. What we said earlier, you know, that's why I don't get burnt out because I know that there's always a mission and there's always somebody out there in the world that is suffering. There's always out there, somebody out there in the world that's, that's, you know, people out there in the world getting raped, being enslaved, having these horrible things. And as long as that's happening, that's what drives me. That that's what keeps me up because I know it's happening right now somewhere in the world. You know, somebody's being trafficked, abused, used, you know, and uh, but I'm able to talk about it on your platform, which is going to expose it even more so. And that's what drives me. And so, um, no, I don't get triggered. I love what you're up to in this world. And obviously you won't be able to make this much impact if you weren't centered in your in your faith and also doing that personal development. So if the listener is, is listening to this right now and going, cool, Remy, if I could walk away with like three things to apply to my life yeah, uh, and yeah. maybe these principles are like in your book transformed, maybe there's some recent things that you've discovered yourself that you've utilized, implemented into your practice that have worked really well. What would those like three takeaway practical steps be? Wow. Three takeaway. Ah. Uh a lot i can't just it's a it's a hard question to ask because there's so many answers and it's my brain's just try to (laughs) (laughs) go go with two Um, let's go with two let's see if we got two and then we'll squeeze another one out (laughs) so two things that people should do in order to uh pursue a successful life or have a successful life yeah whether it's like whether it's like some sort of like a habit that you have in place um whether it's like a certain framework that you run by a certain like personal development tool or exercise that you've done yourself that gets you into like state or something that really like moves the needle for you that you, you live by. Yeah. Um, one is just, I think I've kind of touched on it. It's just this idea that 
not idea, but this reality that God's in control and, and that's, you know, and that, that everything happens for a reason, uh, you know, Romans eight twenty eight. that's what gets me through a lot. That's the thing that, you know, especially when I'm facing rejection or setbacks, um, and, and, and on that, it's meditating on the word, you know, it's, it's reading the Bible and it's, it's prayer and it's, 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 it's really taking that time to, you know, especially while I'm walking in these dark places and doing, you know, doing the work that I do is always coming back to him and coming back to the reason why I do what I do. I think that that's the big one. Um, the second thing that comes to mind and is, is fitness for me, you know, I get so many ideas and I, I feel confidence. I, I feel good about not just good about myself, but I feel good in general when I'm just being active, you know, when I, when I work out, like it's just, and, and I, I know I spoke to a doctor about this, uh, there's a doctor friend of mine, Gabrielle, uh, a lion and she uh, uh, she's a, she has a podcast thing and, and she's really big into fitness. And I was talking to her about like, I can't explain it scientifically, but I'm sure that there's something that happens to the brain. Uh, and when we actively work out and eat right and all that stuff, and I think it elevates us. And she, and she explained it scientifically. She was like, no, you're right. Like, <laughs> like she was, and then she broke down all the science behind it. And I can't, you know, I didn't memorize it all, but, but it's just something about being active that really um, helps me get out. I don't drink coffee. So, you know, my wife jokes with me about it all the time. People always go, oh, you don't drink coffee. I don't drink coffee. You know, fitness is my coffee. And uh, and that's something that that helps me out a lot, um, especially when I'm doing hard cardiovascular workouts. Yeah, this is interesting because I recently was speaking at an event in Toronto and there was another speaker there and he runs a company called the DNA Company. Uh-huh. And you spit saliva into a tube and you send it off to their lab and they yeah. can pull up a full 360 DNA report on your uh-huh. mood and behavior, your sleep your diet and nutrition, your inflammatory profile, your cardiovascular, your exercise and hormones, bro. It blew my mind because I knew it anyway. I'm maybe I'm similar to you. I, when I drink coffee, I'm like this, you know, like it's just my body doesn't metabolize it. Like one of my friends that could have an espresso before bed, you know? (laughs) So so everyone's different. It actually wakes you up to realize that, that some people do have, certain vitamins and minerals that transport like effectively in their body and some are suboptimal, you know, and some people are at higher risk of other things because of the way their DNA and their genetics uh, is formed. And it told me to not have caffeine. It said, stay away from alcohol and caffeine. And it said, do 20% cardio and 80% weightlifting. So it's, I'm learning about my own body. You should definitely check it out. It's really cool. The DNA company.com. Yeah. So, yeah, um, yeah, so that's, yeah. that's cool. It's, it's quite interesting, but yeah, brother, yeah. if let's say somebody's listening and they're like, you know what, I want to create like a foundation. I want to create a, a non nonprofit. What would your advice be? Like, where do you start? Cause obviously you've decided to go and create a movie. You're like getting hands on, uh, with it and, and getting in and helping. Is there any other things that you've learned about creating a foundation or being involved in, in really pushing a cause forward? Is there anything else that we're missing that you might not have covered? Um, picking the right partners, man. Everything is about picking the right partners. And that was, that was something that 
you know, when I was in the SEAL teams, um, I didn't get to pick my partners uh, because the SEAL team I got to was the SEAL team I got to. But there was automatic buy-in because we all went through the same training. We all went through BUDS, basic underwater demolition SEAL training, which is considered the toughest military training on the man. And because each, each guy suffered through six months of hell, you know, we all knew that the guy to our right and the guy to our left could do the job. You know, and even now it's interesting because I will work on projects with, with former SEALs that I've never worked with in the SEAL teams. I, I was working on a movie. I worked on a movie last year with Gerard Butler called Plane. That movie comes out this January. And when I showed up to Puerto Rico where we were filming, uh, there was a there was a SEAL there. Um, and uh, really Pete Scoble, really great dude. And uh, we had to, you know, do our uh rehearsals and walkthroughs with the weapons and tactics and all of that stuff to prepare for the movie. And it was like, we were all in sync. We, me and him were in sync. We're like, yeah, I'm going to do this. You're going to do this. I'm going to do this. It's like no bickering, no arguing. It's just like, he's just like plug and play, plug and play. Go ahead. This is like set up this action scene like this. And we had never worked together, but it was because we both, we, we both went through the same training together and we both, we automatically had that buy-in so we can get the job done. And I say that to say, when I got out of the military, I was out the, of the mindset that whatever field I'm in, if I'm picking partners that also have worked in that field, they will, we'll be able to work together. You know, we'll be able to work. I'll be able to trust them. Right. And, and that's a big thing when it comes to SEAL training is, and being a SEAL is trust. You have to trust your teammates and you have to trust that they're going to operate in their role of responsibility because every guy within the SEAL platoon has a different specialty. You got a JTAC, which is a comms guy. You have medic, you have a sniper. And I remember going on a deployment where it was eight of us and we were in, the, we were the only Americans in this country. Our closest quick reaction force was on another continent and we were the only ones with the specific skill set that was needed in that platoon of those eight men. And I had to trust that my sniper could do his job and that my, my, uh, my, my breacher could do his job. My breacher had to trust that me as a medic and an Intel guy could do his job, could do my job. And it was that automatic trust. It was that buy-in. And, and again, jumping back to when I got out of the military, I automatically, I easily gave that trust away to people that weren't vetted. And I picked a lot of bad partners especially in entertainment. You know, um, I had a manager that was trying to steal money from me because I trusted him. You know, he was, and, he, and one of the reasons, why, the big reason why I trusted him was because he said he was a Christian, you know? And so, you know, it was like, oh, you're a Christian, you work in Hollywood. And I was like, gave that trust. And the dude ended up, you know, stealing money and doing all kinds of janky stuff, you know, uh, to me, which was disheartening. But I say all that to say, you know, it's, it, you know, I picked, I learned that, Trust has to be earned, just like my trust had to be earned through going through SEAL training and then getting into a platoon and guys trusting that I went through the same process that they went through. I had to learn that any person that I bring on my team, whether they uh, whether they own a nonprofit for 10 years or whatever, whether they worked in Hollywood, whatever, they got to earn my trust. And I have to earn their trust. If I, it works both ways. And, and that's the biggest thing that I would, biggest lesson that I would give to people who are trying to start something is, is vet your partners, you know, so that that way you don't find yourself in a situation that you're regretting or you're being taken advantage of. 
Yeah, and I think that some people have this uh, limiting belief that they've got to make a whole ton of money before they can actually have an impact in the world with building a yeah. foundation or organization. Yeah. Did that, did yeah, that ever yeah, come yeah. up for you or does that come up in conversations sometimes with people where they feel like they need a lot more than they actually have? No, no. Well, for me, yeah, I've met a lot of people who are of that mindset, but but that I don't subscribe to it. Like for me, it's 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 like, you know, going back, doing, doing what you can with what you have. You know what I mean? You could have a big impact. Dude, I, I made a, a 32 minute film. You know, I couldn't I couldn't afford to make a, a 35 million dollar film. Uh, you know, so I, you know, I made, but I had $150,000. So I made $150,000 film, you know, and, uh, I, and that film, you know, has had a big impact. As a matter of fact, uh, shortly after our, our podcast interview, I'm jumping on an international medical conference in London, Scotland, in, in Scotland, not London, in Scotland, where all the doctors from all around the world are, they're, they're in Scotland for this big conference that happens once a year. It's called World Extreme Medic Medical Conference to hear me speak about human trafficking. And how did that come about? That came about because somebody watched my film was like, I know that this is not falling, fall directly into the medical category, but our doctors and uh, from all around the world who work in these remote places need to hear about this film and hear about this story. And again, it just started out with a small film, a you know, small short film, right? So it, it's all about doing what you get. And now that short film, interestingly, is got picked up in Hollywood and now is going to be made into a $35 million film. But it didn't start out as a $35 million film. It started out as a $150,000 film. Now, I know that's still a lot of money, but it, it started out as, as something small, just 32 minutes, and now it's going to be something bigger. So you never know how what you're doing. Don't despise small beginnings. I mean, we, we, we know that. You know, don't despise small beginnings. You know, you know what, it, just do what you, what you can with what you have. Do it with excellence, which I think is something that a lot of people – miss you know uh it, it, you know do it to the point as close to perfection as you can do it and it'll have an impact even if you don't do it to perfection it'll still have an impact sometimes it's all about one right there's a a a, a movie uh which i'm sure you, uh avengers infinity war infinity is it infinity war or something like that with thanos and uh at the end of the movie you know, uh, Doctor Strange raises his hand because he to Tony Stark because Doctor Strange had told him earlier there's only one out of a billion ways to defeat Thanos. So right before I think Doctor Strange is about to die, he says to he 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 doesn't even say anything. He just holds his finger up to to Tony Stark and it just just one, just one, and that that image always sticks with me because. Sometimes it's not about reaching millions of people. Sometimes it's about reaching that one person who may in return reach millions of people or hundreds of thousands of people. And, and, and if you could impact one, that's going to have a ripple effect. It's going to have a ripple effect. And so, um, yeah. <laughs> this is so powerful. I love this. Yeah. So, Remy, we're, we're going to be wrapping up the interview soon. Um, yeah. My question for you, bro, is, how do we have a powerful relationship with our partners, right? If someone's in a romantic relationship, because you know you're, you're a husband, you got kids, have you got any sort of advice on how to make it work? Being an entrepreneur, you know you're on the road yeah. a lot. How do you make it work? Uh, wow. Uh, one is time. You know, it's 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 about having quality time with your partner. You know, and uh, 
putting the cell phone down, you know, uh, getting away. And it's not about just sitting in a movie theater, right? It's about, it's because, because you could be sitting next to your partner in the movie theater and not really spending time with them because you're watching a movie. I just, the big thing is just that quality time, um, with that person um uh uh, and that's what i have to do it's an investment to me marriage is a job like i have a bunch of different jobs but it's a job and and i think a a lot and i don't don't mean that in a negative way and i think if you if you don't look at it as a job because what what do you have to do with your job you have to put in the work or you're not going to get paid you have to show up one time. You have to. You have to. Uh, you have to carry out your tasks. You have to have meetings. You have to. You have to do. You have to communicate. You have to do all these things in order for your job job to flourish. I own you know this apparel company. If I just say, hey, I got an apparel company. Uh, yeah, I got a apparel company, but I'm not putting in the work in the apparel company. It's not going to grow. You know, this apparel company started out as a small idea about a year and a half ago, and it's blown up into a massive apparel company that's now on TV shows and and celebrities are wearing it. And we got all kinds of endorsements and all kinds of stuff. But that wouldn't have happened if I didn't. Me and my business partner didn't every single day put in the work, come up with with marketing ideas and strategies, and put out designs. And those designs don't work, so we're gonna get rid of those designs and act and look at the numbers, look at the analytics, like constantly looking and revamping the website and and putting new things on the website, taking old things off, doing different color scheme. Like every single day, it's funny. I got an email from my business partner while I was out here. He's like, "Hey, dude, I'm me and our 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 our." Uh, our web designer, we're working on revamping the website. And it's gonna and we're gonna it's gonna take six days. It won't be done until Thursday. And every single day of those six days, we're just that's just one aspect of the company we're working on is revamping the website. That's marriage. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know, and that's relationship. You gotta, it's a job. You gotta do the work. You, you can't just be like, hey, I got the ring on the finger. Hey, how you doing? How you doing? We can go a step I don't go do that. How's the kid? It's like you have to put in the work. It's a job. And if you put in the work, then you're going to reap the benefits of it. If you don't, then your marriage, your relationship is going to fall apart. And both partners, again, it's a partnership, you know, just like our relationship with God. Both partners have to put in the work, you know, Uh, show up. Not just show up, but show up and put in the work. Amen to that, brother. Amen. Where can we find you online? Where where have you got your content? I know you've got that short film that everyone can check out as well. So if you could just share where we can find you, that'd be awesome. Yeah, um, I'm on Remy Adelake uh, is uh, Instagram, uh, LinkedIn. My Facebook page has been going gray for some reason um, because I guess Facebook revamped it. So it doesn't really work, but it's still up, but it doesn't really work. But that's uh, Remy Adelake on Facebook, uh, uh, Twitter, Remy Adelake as well. And then my YouTube channel where you can find the short film, The Unexpected is uh Remy Adelaide as well. So I got I got a unique name. So uh uh when I created all my 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 social media handles, I didn't have to put official Remy Adelaide. It's just simply Remy Adelaide. <laughs> <laughs> nice man. Hey, have you got any advice for anybody that's like sitting down and writing out a vision for their future? Have you ever done that yourself like written out a full vision of what you're creating and set your goals out? Have you got any advice on this? No, I, no, I don't do that. I I I, I you know, I uh no, I've never written out a vision for myself. I, I, I've never liked that. I, I have I, just me personally. I've always thought that that's, you know, I know, I know so many people that have a goal board and they, they don't do anything on that board. You know what I mean? That they, they've written out. I think, I think it's, 
but just like you talk about with the whole DNA um, uh, program where you spit in it, every human, every, everybody's different. And that's never worked for me to have like a vision. Uh, two years from now, I want to be here. I want to do this. I want to do that. That's never worked for me. For me, it's just about getting in, jumping in the fire and getting it done, you know, and it's, it's, it's mentally knowing what has to be done and just doing it. Um, and, and with, uh, yeah, yeah. And then, you know, things like as a screenwriter, you know, I write screenplays and, um, uh, one thing about writing screen, there's two, there's two, there's one main train of thought when it comes to writing a screenplay. It's like you have to outline the screenplay. You have to outline the entire screenplay. And I've never outlined a screenplay. Uh, that doesn't work for me. And the yeah. reason why is because character is supposed to drive story. Like I have an idea of what I want to happen. Like I didn't outline my book, for example. I'll use my book as an example. I didn't outline my book. I had an idea of what I wanted to happen, but I wanted to allow my past merge with the character. I mean, because even though I'm writing the book, it's, I'm still the main character in the book to kind of dictate to me what path I'm going to go down. Now, legally, I had to do a, a outline to, to get the book deal. I, I, I threw it together. But if you look at that outline and you read the book, two completely different books <laughs> right same thing with screenplays when i write screenplays it's like i i don't outline because and i learned that from from you know the whole book thing because i like especially fiction screenplay i like the characters to drive the story because a character when and when you write good characters they'll drive your story now again i have an idea of where i want to go but i like the character and that's how, that's how I, I like to live my life if that makes sense. I don't like to have a board. I want to be here this year, this month and do this. Blah, blah, blah. And none of that is going to happen. None of that is going to happen. You know, I think the Bible talks about, you know, don't, don't, don't uh, tell God your plan, something along those lines, just paraphrasing the scripture. But, uh, um, you know, don't worry about tomorrow's, uh, tomorrow's worries or something like that. But, uh, uh, but yeah, in short, I, I, I'm not, I don't subscribe to that. <laughs> Bro, I, lo I love this because I can see that you focus so much on your character. It's like, who am I today? Right? Like you yeah, have the idea, yeah. obviously, but you don't need all the details for the future of it because yep. you're like so in the moment and you're and it, you're taking action. You're letting the fact like you being assertive and proactive is is important, more important than even like sitting and trying to write it down. You just go for it. And, yep. and it's interesting because like I have the vision, but I also know my greatest flex is actually just freaking doing it and like negotiating yeah. it by showing up and doing it rather yeah. than actually yeah. having an idea in my head. So yeah, it's good, man. It's good to hear your, pers your perspective of it. Um, yeah. The last question that we end every interview with, the question yeah. is if you were to deliver your last 30 second speech to the world, what would yeah. that last 30 seconds sound like? Ooh, what would that last 30 seconds sound like? Hmm. That's a good question. Um, it would be an address to my kids, if anything, because, you know, when my dad, one thing that, that my, my dad didn't leave us a lot behind when he died and that, in part, cause the Nigerian government stripped our family of absolutely everything. And, uh, we went from rich to poor. And I just remember as a kid still always searching for words and from my dad and, you know, whether if he wrote a letter for me or, or, you know, he, you know, there was something I could read and I couldn't find. And I was always searching for that, searching for some type of affirmation, some type of just words from my father to me. 
And, uh, in my book, when you open up my book, transform the whole book, I wrote this dedication to my kids. Um, uh, so that my kids can have word. This is what daddy, you know, this book is for you. This like learn from my mistake. It's a long dedication, not just to my kids, but my, my nephews as well. And my nieces and, uh, in my, even in my fiction book that I have coming out next year, you know, it's, it's, it's I, I dedicated to my kids. And I tell my kids that, that, that you guys drive me to create and to tell story and thank you because I want to have written this. And that's a, it's a big action spy thriller series, but I'm, I'm, I'm leaving words to my kids. So if something happens to me, they could always, they have all of these sermons, all of these messages, all of these things where they could always come back to and, 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 and say, dad talked about me, dad talked to me, you know, dad left me and he gave me this guidance. Right. And so I, I think it would be a combination of, you know, to everybody in general, do what you can do with what you have. You have the ability to make this world a better place, but it takes you stepping up and doing whatever it is that you could do with the giftings that you have. And then the, the rest of the address, that, that would be five, 10 seconds. And then the rest would be to my kids, you know, be great. Remember who you are, you know, um, strive for excellence, you know, tr- you know, uh, don't easily trust people, um, you know, allow people to earn your trust and, 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 and you earn other people's trust, uh, love. Like it would be, and again, I'm just proud, but it would be a whole lot to them. And, and, and I would end it with, you always know that daddy loved you with absolutely everything. And he's going to always love you. And he looks at you as he looks, he sees you as, uh, as special as, uh, as just as great people. And, uh, I would just build them up. We'll just all be, and because I know in doing that, they're going to make the world a better place because they're going to have the tools. They're going to have that affirmation from their dad. And I think affirmation is a huge thing. I think a lot of kids, especially in the inner city of America, I'm not sure how it is from where you are, but you know, I, I, I just started a charter school in Muskegon, Michigan, which is a very depressed area in, Mis- in Michigan and uh, primarily black, black kids. And 95% of the kids at the school don't have fathers in their lives. And uh, uh, when the when the kids were signed up, they had to present their birth certificates. A lot of the kids didn't, didn't even have a father's name on their birth certificate, right? And you see this in the inner cities across America. You know, I think the single parent rate amongst uh, Black kids is like 70%, you know, no fathers. And I think that that's what leads to crime and and you know even this hip-hop culture and and even when you see it in, in pro athletes you know where they you, they go to a club or a bar and they're buying out the car and they, they're buying out the club with the bar and they're driving this nice car and and you know this car that they shouldn't they, they can afford but why invest your money in that why are they doing this because they're seeking that affirmation from their father that they never got. Why are they punching somebody in the face to disrespect them? Because they've never been affirmed by their fathers. They don't know really, really know who they are. Affirmation from a father is priceless and can set a kid up in a good way for the rest of their life, but set a kid up, you know, in a bad way for the rest of their life. And so that's why for me, my whole last 30 seconds, a big chunk of my 30 seconds would be affirming my kids. Cause I know that if I could affirm them, 
and remind them of who they are and how I feel about them and will always feel about them, they're going to do great things in the world. It all starts there.